Welcome back, everyone, to the Chaos Ball Podcast, the best Pirates podcast on the internet. Your Pittsburgh Pirates sit at 20 wins and 9 losses right now at the end of April. They're on an 8-2 streak in their last 10. They're leading the NL Central Division. Jack Sawinski is going to win MVP. Andrew McCutcheon is having a late career resurgence. David Bednar is going to win Reliever of the Year. The Pirates are going all the way. Our Pittsburgh Pirates, everyone. Did you think you clicked on the wrong show? No. This is not a Pirates podcast. Do you think I should pivot to a Pirates podcast? That team's very fun. If you haven't watched any Pirates this year, I would recommend watching the Pirates. But unfortunately, no. This is a Mariners podcast. You know this. The Mariners are not leading their division, nor are they leading the NL Central, like the Pirates. Nor do they have 20 wins. They actually have uh, quite a few less. The Mariners are 12 and 16. As I talk to you right now, on the eve of the month of May. The month of April is now winding down. The first month of baseball is out of the way, and now we can really, really start start diving into the to the weeds of of baseball. You know, you get the first month out of the way, it's like, yeah, hey, what are you gonna do? You know, unless you are like White Sox level bad, your team's probably fine. Or if your team's like the Pirates and you weren't supposed to be as good, what a month of April for them. And we sit here right now as the Mariners just had a crazy win today. Uh, I will go over a little, I full stop. I didn't watch this game because I was traveling today. I was driving for most of the game. The last thing I saw was the Bo Bichette home run. And I was like, oh, so things are going about as expected. Taylor Trammell hits a grand slam in the first inning. He's back. I really, really missed Taylor Trammell's smile. I really just missed his vibes on the team. He's just fantastic. Looks like a great dude. And uh, Dong's a grand slam in his first at-bat back. He had a really good catch in the field, too. So glad to have him back as the you know, third, fourth, fifth outfielder, depending on the day. Uh, I know Julio was out today. I know they took him out last night's game and everyone was freaking out. But it seems like just a rest going into an off day tomorrow. So just extended rest and hopefully a little, not a slump-busting rest, but maybe... I mean, he hasn't been hitting particularly well. Uh, maybe a longer rest will will get him right. But again, the month of April for him last year as a rookie was very tough. And from May on, like I have elaborated, he was a top-ten player in baseball. And maybe he'll just do that again. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. He might just not be an April guy. He just doesn't like the spring. He's more of a summery kind of dude. You know, he's just like April. He's like, it's a little cold. It's a little cold in Seattle, you know, in April. So I think he'll start to get it going in May. Not that he hasn't. I mean, he's still honestly already had a better month of April than last season. And if he puts that onto the May through October he had last year, that's uh, easily an MVP candidate. But before I really get into things, the Mariners, just to cap off today, Cal Raleigh hit two home runs. They came back. They won 10-8. to I had no idea what happened until I stopped driving and I looked at my phone and I saw that we won and honestly wasn't surprised, to be honest with you. Um, it was in Toronto. The Mariners seemingly like to play some fun games in Toronto. They did take the series L, but the win today is very good. That That is very good to go into the off day with a comeback win like that. And uh, honestly, I watched I watched the, the highlights of this game, or I just watched the whole game back uh, today real quick before doing this podcast and Goldie 
Goldie's calls on all of those home runs and clutch hits are amazing. I mean, uh, J.P. Crawford, another heartbreaking hit in Toronto. One strike left in that game for the Mariners, and he singles home Caballero to tie it. Cal Raleigh, second home run of the day, lasers over the wall. Matt Brash gets his first ever save in his home country of Canada. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez hit an oppo taco in Toronto, where he, he had done that many, many times before. Uh, just a very Mariners-y type game today, but I'm not just talking about that game. I could talk more about it if I watched the whole thing like I do normally, but I cannot. But what a win. That's a good win. I just, I just uh, If they lost today, if I got out of the car and they lost, I would have been a little bit more sad to record this, but now, now the vibes are a little bit better. But before I really delve into things, let's start it off with the Baseball Reference Player of the Week. This week's... Player of the Week is, unsurprisingly, a player who played uh, in the late 1800s, as I love to love to learn about more guys who played in that era, the pre-modern era. It's very fun. Very fun baseball times. His name, he was born Elton P. Chamberlain, but he's better known as Icebox Chamberlain. Yes, Icebox Chamberlain. He played, he started his career in 1886. And played 10 years in the bigs. He retired in 1896. Uh, put up some really good stats. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's definitely in like what I would consider Hall of Very Good. It's very, very hard to judge players who played back then. But according to baseball reference, 30.7 career war. Uh, he's a pitcher, slash, he played a little bit of outfield too, but majority of pitcher, uh, 3.57 career ERA. Uh, this is kind of a absolutely ridiculous ratio. He pitched uh, 2,521.2 innings in his career, 10-year career. Struck out 1,133. He's a contact guy. He's he's a, he's a, he's a ground ball machine. Put a good defense behind him. That's a that's a championship winning team right there. How could you forget about Icebox? Is great. I actually don't. I don't think he actually ever won um, anything. But made his debut for the Louisville Cardinals or Colonels, not Cardinals. And last MLB appearance for the Cleveland Spiders, Icebox. He, he, some interesting quirks with him on his baseball reference page, and this is not something I've seen too many times before. It says right under his, like, he bats right, he throws right. Right under there, it says, Chamberlain alternated arms during at least one game. And then you navigate to his Wikipedia page, and it says, although a right-handed pitcher, Chamberlain pitched the last two innings of an 1888 game with his left hand and was that just for shits and giggles like he was just like you know i'm i'm so much better than you guys i'm just gonna close this game out with my left hand uh he actually several seasons he was one of the best pitchers in the league i mean he got his nickname icebox there's, I'm sure with most of the nicknames back then, there's hearsay. There's probably one main story that led him to get this name. But here in the nickname, Icebox, some sources attribute the nickname to his ability to remain cool when facing tough opposition. But at least one source links the nickname to chronic laziness. So, that's, I mean, that is, uh, maybe it's not even either of those. Maybe... Um, he, one time in the dugout, dumped an ice box on his own head 
before a start or something. You know, you never know where these nicknames can come from. Uh, but he actually had he had a very solid career. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, they is actually so more info on this in in this game he pitched uh, with his left and right hand. He uh, was the third major league pitcher to throw with both his left and right hands during the same game. Uh, I would like to see Shohei Otani accomplish this uh, because maybe he could. I don't know. Uh, he doesn't have that on his resume yet. And he should definitely get it on his resume. Uh, but this paragraph, I'm just going to read here. Yeah, no, I'm reading the full paragraph because this is just fantastic. Uh, so Chamberlain was traded to the St. Louis Browns in August 1888. He registered already at that point 14 wins for the Colonels that year. He earned 11 more wins in the last six weeks of the season with the St. Louis Browns. Uh, he struck out 176 batters, registered a 2.19 earned run average that season, good for fifth among the league's pitchers. I could tell you how uh, how naughty little pitchers were last in 1888. I remember it fondly. The Browns finished 1888 with a fourth consecutive league pennant. So the Browns were just dominating back then. However, not long after Chamberlain joined the team, pitcher Nat Hudson left the team to get married. He left the team to get married. I Maybe I'll pick Nat Hudson as a, as a baseball reference player of the week and go down that rabbit hole to see why he left the whole team to get married. That is... See, it's like if you get married, you just can't play professional sports anymore. It's like, sorry guys, got a wife at home. Can't can't be pitching every day for you anymore. I gotta tend to the life and kids. You know what I mean. But later that year in the World Series, the Browns had only Chamberlain and hey oh pitcher Silver King, former Baseball Reference Player of the Week, Silver King. They were teammates. Is that how I found this out? Maybe. Uh, they then faced the Giants in that World Series. And uh, Chamberlain pitched a shutout in the second game of the 1888 World Series, but he lost the fourth, sixth, and eighth games. Yes, they played nine games back then in the first World Series. Uh, they were nine-game series, which is pretty sweet. He gave up 11 runs in the eighth game. So he goes from pitching a shutout in the second game, and then they just really figured him out. They, he got socked for 11 in Game 8, uh, and the Giants clinched the series after that game. And that was his last Major League postseason playing appearance. So that is Icebox Chamberlain. There is more to read about him. I will not. I will just say before we get into Mariners baseball, you should just go to Icebox Chamberlain's um, Wikipedia page and look at his picture. Because all the pictures back then, well, it's, it's, um, it's his baseball card. All of the baseball cards back then are awesome. The stance he's in is something else he's like hitting a pose he's working it for the camera so go look at that picture and before i leave you with the icebox chamberlain to go do some more research on your own after his playing days he was hired as a baseball umpire and later announced that he was going to become a boxer but neither venture seemed to have worked out worked out for him and then not much is known about his later life so really a mystery of what happened to old Icebox Chamberlain. We just know when he died and where he's buried, but that is the Baseball Reference Part of the Week, Icebox Chamberlain. And now, to the meat and potatoes of the episode, uh, Mariners Baseball. Wee! Yay! Mariners! Alright, off the bat, this happened uh, very soon after I released the podcast last week. Robbie Ray 
has announced that he's out for the year. He's having surgery for that flexor strain. This sucks. It sucks for Robbie Ray. It sucks for the Mariners. It sucks for everyone involved, man. It just stinks. And from, like, an injury that they are like, 15-day IL, he just strained it while throwing, and now it's out for the year. That is brutal, especially with a rotation that was already kind of grappling with its fifth spot. Didn't exactly know who the fifth spot was going to be, and now... You got what I, like options in the organization. All of the guys in Double A right now, like Prelander, Baroa, Bryce Miller, uh, and like Brian Wu, Emerson Hancock, they don't look quite ready yet. I I don't think the Mariners are going to try to rush them up yet as well out of necessity. They don't necessarily need to do that, and that might harm their development a little bit. To start the year, they, uh, they've they looked fine. Like, Emerson Hancock has looked really good. Wu's been solid. But they don't, they still don't look quite, quite ready. I mean, at least from what I've seen, what I've heard uh, about people in the org talking about, they, they, they're not ready to call them up yet. It's a little early. So right now, we're going to see a lot of probably Darren McCocken. Easton McGee came up and threw a great game the other night. We, what else are we going to see? I mean, more flexing starting, potentially. He pitched pretty well today um, out of a bullpen roll. I mean, it just sucks. It, it just really stinks, uh, especially from a team that was so healthy last year. The pitching staff was so healthy. Like, Robert Ray was very healthy for most of the year. Uh, and uh, Eno Saris, a sports writer or baseball writer on Twitter, he tweeted out before the season some metric that was calculating like health and like likelihood that a team would stay healthy. And the Mariners pitching staff was top of the list of like health factor where it was like most likely to stay pretty healthy for most of the year. And then bam, not even may yet. One of your, you're probably he's a top three arm in, in the org. He's out, out for the whole year. So where does it leave us again? Those pitchers in the org, I imagine we'll see some, one, two, three, all three of the four of the double A guys. I don't know. We'll see some of them like like Taylor Dollard, I guess, is an option too. I I don't know. I like he could go out and like Jerry DePoto being he or Justin Hollander, they could make a trade. They're known to make some trades. I imagine there will be some trades before the trading deadline, but this right now sets the rotation back a little bit. And the rotation has been good. And missing Robbie Rear for the whole year is just really shitty. Uh, so really intrigued. I have not quite looked at who they could target off the top of the dome. There's not that many dudes that come to mind who are like on bad teams and pitching really well. Like Mitch Keller would stand out at me if the Pirates weren't leading the division right now. Someone like that. I don't know. Next week, in a couple weeks, this month, maybe before they make a trade, if they make a trade, uh, I'll see who might be available. Like a just a veteran who can, you know, can throw decent innings for you. Like it's they're not gonna they're not gonna trade for anyone who is gonna make a huge impact. Like they're just gonna have to limp through the rest of the year with the back half of the bullpen and hope those guys in double A develop well and can can make an impact on the major league team when they come up, but they're just not ready right now. So they're in a tough spot. They're in a tough spot. It leaves them in a very tough spot right now. And I mean, I guess it, Tommy Malone, baby, just, just keep Tommy Malone on the team. He's got some magic in him, dude. 
like Easton McGee, uh, I don't know, man. It just stinks. It just stinks. That's my analysis on the Robbie Ray injury. It just sucks. And that's that's all there is to it. I'm, I'm moving on from the Robbie Ray injury. Another thing before I really start getting into how April went for this entire team, the Trident celebration. I'm scolding myself right now because I did not talk about this in the last episode. It's funny. I was going to either write a Substack or have just a little short little podcast uh, segment that was going to go over all of the really cool home run celebrations that I've seen this year and why the Mariners need one. And they answered my call before I even was able to write or podcast about it. The Trident, they're they're wearing the, the Swalmet with the Trident. It's a cool celebration. It's very cool. I wonder what they'll do all year. Like, they already they had the Trident initially. Julio was the first Trident wielder, which is very apropos. Apropos? Apropos. And they added the Swalmet. I'm wondering if they'll add anything else. I think they should, someone, I would love to see someone throw the trident. Like, how sharp is it really? I heard it was pretty sharp and they had to dull it. Let's get it really sharp again. And instead of a first pitch, let's have people throw the trident at like a bale of hay with a target on it. Like for archery. Let's just have the first pitch be that instead of the first pitch. That'd be fun. Uh, I'm wondering, they should really, they should do like, well... This did they would have to bring back the bullpen boat, the bullpen ferry they used to have. Every home run, the Mariner Moose should whip the bullpen ferry around, skirt up to the dugout, have the home run recipient uh, or hitter receive the trident and swam it, get like in the back of the boat and just go right around the stadium. Now that would really increase game times, and I don't think it'd fly with the pitch clock, but wouldn't that be fun? Uh, not much else about this. So the celebration's cool. Very appropriate, obviously, with uh, the City Connect uniform, Trident sort of announcement, and just, like, obviously the Trident is an iconic old logo for the Mariners. And it's a very cool celebration. Very cool. I don't think it's as cool as the Dong Bong in the Orioles, for the Orioles dugout. And also the Pirates, like, literally fighting with Pirate Swords in the dugout when one of them hits a home run. I think that's pretty sweet. There's a lot of cool other ones, and I really was going to write a, a short little piece with videos showing each one and ranking, and uh, I'm not going to do that yet. Maybe at the end of the season when every team has one, potentially. I don't know. I more just wanted the Mariners to, to come up with one, and I figured they were working on it, and it turns out they were. I was right. They were. And now let's talk about the somewhat, somewhat depressing month of April, I guess. I don't know. I'll, I guess this weekend first I will touch on. So, actually, no. Short recap. Short recap of the whole week. So, this one came out on the off day, 24th on Monday. This will come out on May 1st. But they go to the Phillies and they go to the Blue Jays, losing four of six of those games to, to the Phillies and the Blue Jays. They take one of three from each of the series. Just really frustrating. Uh, George Kirby threw a complete game, eight innings with 7Ks, and got the loss. They lost 1-0 in that game. That was a cruel, cruel reminder of what this team used to be because I did tweet out some fun little stats surrounding how many times Felix Hernandez had done this, and that's actually George's second career game, going seven innings, allowing one or less run with 7-plus Ks. 
Felix had three of those where he got a loss. This is Kirby's first loss he got from those. The last time he did that, he got a no decision. Uh, so he has yet to pitch a gem like that and get the dub. But Felix, I, God, going back and looking at his stuff is just, man, he deserved better. Felix had like 15 to 20 of these games where the team actually ended up losing, which is pretty, pretty astounding. The best one by far is it was on, uh, looks like April 19th, 2012. Felix Hernandez pitches eight innings with 12 Ks, gives up one run, and the Mariners lose in regulation time in nine innings, two to one. Eight innings, 12 Ks, one earned. And the Mariners lose two to one, and Felix gets the loss. I, uh, or no, he didn't get the loss. He got a no decision, but they still lost that game. Just insane. George Kirby deserved better. He, that, that could have won us the Philly series, swung some momentum our way going into the Blue Jays series, and no, completely deflated the team. Three close games. 5-3 versus Phillies, lost. 6-5 second game, and then obviously what I was just talking about, 1-0 in the Bay or Matt Strom versus George Kirby duel that we witnessed. And then they go to Toronto. They they lose really close games as well. They lose 2-3, and they lose... 1 to 0 and then they win 10 to 8. So what I look at this team and their schedule again they've played really good teams and they've played them pretty close but things still aren't quite cracking the Mariners way this season in terms of like close games and I didn't really have this I didn't have this podcast at the start of last season or or this season before but towing the line and being a good team in one run games there's not a lot of metrics that you can really prove that your team is more clutch. I mean, there's like there are like clutch factor stuff and like uh, high leverage stats and stuff like that that you could pull. But sometimes it's just how a team's constructed, the team's mentality, and even the Mariners showed today their mentality is they never quit. They they obviously never quit. They've come back from and won so many fun games like this the past couple of years. Uh, but being a team that relies so much on winning close one-run games or extra inning games is just a very, very tight tightrope. It's it's tough to rely on that. And it's, we're showing it this season, and I'm not to say this is going to be representative of the whole season, but right now they're 3-9 and nine in one-run games and 0-5 and in extra inning games. Like, they're 500 in nine-inning games, and they've lost five in extra innings, and there's your 11-16. and 16 record they've scored 110 they've allowed 111 they've been like a very 500 team this whole month with a record that doesn't reflect it because again three and nine and one runs 0 and five next year innings not what we're used to seeing from this team but also not necessarily out of the realm of possibility for this team this could have happened last year this did kind of happen last year at the start of the year they weren't amazing to start the year this team on paper is better at the start of the year than last year's team so it's a little more concerning but but I don't think they'll continue the 250 winning percentage in one run games the whole year I think that will obviously tick up but they were just unconscious in one run games last year and the year before it was the fun differential where like man they had a negative run differential the whole year but they just kept winning these games like 1-0-2-1 it was insane and yeah some of some of it's just luck and luck is not going their way right now and 
some of it's situational hitting, some some of it's definitely on the coaching staff and, and Scott and Jerry for their decisions of, of relievers. Sometimes, again, it's just luck. Sometimes a reliever doesn't have it, but this year it's just been tough to watch late games like this where uh, they lose. It's We're just not used to it. We're not used to it at all. But to recap the week, I mean, it was they were close games, close, close games. So, all in all, they play. They're playing fine baseball right now. There's obvious problems with the team, but it was a tough week. It was a tough week. Two wins the whole week. Podcasting week. I'm going Monday to Monday here. Two wins in that whole week against you know two good teams, but six six winnable baseball games. Six very, very winnable baseball games. I didn't quite go the Mariners' way. It stings even more when you factor in they squandered a complete game gem from George Kirby. They squandered 6.2 scoreless innings from Easton McGee. 6.2 scoreless innings from Easton McGee. And you lose the game. You cannot lose games like that if you want to be a serious ball club. Like it's through a wing and a prayer that he threw 6.2 scoreless in his first start in the in the bigs. I'm sure a lot of people in the fan base didn't know him. I knew his name. I was not familiar with what type of pitcher he was per se. And he throws 6.2 scoreless, and you lose 1-0. Very similar to the Kirby. It's just you can't waste starts like that. You know Kirby's going to give you more starts like that. Easton McGee's probably not going to give you more starts like that unless he's randomly an absolute gem, diamond in the rough, and he's really good. I don't think that is going to really be the case. You can't waste games like that. You just simply cannot. Simply cannot. And really, it's the offensive woes that have continued. I mean, I kind of had a little mini State of the Union last week with talking about how this team is performing as expected and like the pitfalls that have happened so far this year are not unexpected it's the dh spot is awful the offense top down is fine they're just missing another bat or two like the bottom of the lineup is pretty freaking stinky the pitching has been solid and they're not winning the wondering games they're used to winning so just so mariners-y like the whole blue jays series felt very very mariners-y they lost a close game on friday they probably could have won Again, Easton McGee gives them 6.2 scoreless innings, and what do you do? You lose 1-0, and then you start the game off really hot on Sunday with a Taylor Schmoke Grand Slam. It goes back and forth, and you end up clutching up late and winning the game in Toronto, and that is what this marriage team can do. Like The, the two Blue Jays games back-to-back, the Easton McGee game where you lose that 1-0, and this game today, Sunday, tomorrow, when you're listening to this, if you're listening on Monday, 10 to 8 win and just a wild comeback slash you squandered the lead so you needed to come back that's classic mariners both of those games are just such a representation of this stupid stupid ball club that we all all know and love but in april in review that is what this episode is titled at and i'm saying that halfway through this episode not knowing exactly what I'm going to title it. Maybe I'll title it April in a review. I think that's probably good. I mean, I wanted to go over what happened this month and just not light the world on fire because we're 11 and 16. You know, it's not that bad. 
All right. But it's also not great because you end you end the month with Rob, the Robbie Ray news. And that just puts a damper on a lot of good stuff that the pitching staff has done and leaves big question marks to fill. But I'll read you some rankings, AL rankings and some broader MLB rankings here. Very seesaw. I'm going in seesaw mode. Good and bad rankings. Here we go. AL in the American League. The Seattle Mariners ranked 12th in team OPS plus, and that would be on base plus slugging, and then set against league average at a 100 clip. Factors in, you know, park factor and all that, and kind of tells you you've been league average. Have you been below? You've been above. League average is 100. Mariners are sitting at 89 as a team OPS plus right now. That's pretty bad. Yeah, good for 12th in the American League. The only teams lower are the White Sox, the Tigers, and the Royals. What do those teams have in common? They're all really bad. Uh, what's funny is the Yankees right now have a 91. They're just above the Mariners. The A's are at a 97. They're right in the middle in the AL in terms of uh, OPS+. plus, Because that has not been their biggest issue, as we know. So that's a bad stat. But in the AL, they're 6th in ERA+. plus. Same thing. If you're not familiar with the plus stats, again, it's on a scale of 100 the Mariners are sitting at, at sixth overall in the AL and ERA plus. So the pitching is doing its job. The pitching has been good. The offense has been not good. Here's another not good stat for you. They're 14th in the American League in average. <laughs> pretty pretty bad. The only team below them, the Kansas City Royals. They're hitting 220, 295, 368 as a team. That is not good. That's not good at all for this month of April. Now flip it again, a good stat. They're uh, ninth in the entire league in ERA, but now a bad stat. They're third in the entire league in strikeouts at the plate. They've struck out the third most in the entire Major League Baseball in the month of April. That's for a team that kind of prides itself on great at-bats and working tough counts and all that. That's a lot of strikeouts, and it's not like they're not necessarily working good at bats they're just striking out that's not exactly what you want to see at all and then another good stat to end giving up the second least amount of home runs this year in the league again pitching is doing its job suppressing runs giving the offense an opportunity to win the games and they're just not doing it that is the whole representation of this month of april that's kind of what again what i expected from this baseball team coming out of the coming out of the offseason uh, record right now, again, 11 and 16, but the Pythag record is 13 and 14. So partially, I mean, that's due to the three and nine record in one run games, according to runs scored versus runs against, they probably should have won two of those one run games, I would guess, instead of losing two of them. Uh, so really, I mean, 11 and 16, again, is not that bad. The season is not lost because of a subpar month of April, but it's not like the best guys on the team aren't performing somewhat how we expected. I mean, Jared Kelnick, this is, we expected potentially league average. Like this is, where would this offense be without him? Even worse, which is they're already not good. But Teoscar's looked pretty good. Julio's been slumping, but that kind of counteracts with Kelnick's. Wong, again, has just been terrible. That's unexpected, but I talked about it last week. The Wong unexpectedly awfulness zeroes out the Kelnick greatness. Uh, Kyle Raleigh has looked kind of as expected. Teoscar's hitting really well. JP has definitely looked better at the plate than expected, but he's still, I expected coming into the year, he'd be a marginally above average hitter. The pitching's been good. I like, I keep saying this. It's just, they just end up there 11 and 16. 
and then you look at the schedule, and the schedule is really tough. I talked about this last week, too. I mean, you open Guardians, Angels, Guardians, and you go to the Cubs, and then you have the homestand. You sweep the Rockies, and then you get swept by the Brewers, and then you win two of three against the Cardinals. And then you go to the Phillies and Blue Jays, and you win one of three against those teams. I mean, all of those teams, except for the Rockies, are all serious baseball teams. Well, the Angels are in there, but, you know, they're they're still a pretty good baseball team. Uh, maybe on serious, but serious playoff contenders the whole month of April. <laughs> Next month, it, it lightens a little bit. They get to play the A's. They uh, twice next month they get to play the Tigers, the Red Sox, the Pirates. If they're still hitting, lighting the world on fire, will be tough. But on paper, theoretically, the Mariners are better than them. But I don't know anymore. And it looks like a, an easier month, a busier month with more baseball, but an easier month in terms of opponent. So an 11 and 16 record with a 13 14 Pythag against those opponents, it's not super surprising, and it's not that bad if they were 11 and 16 and they were playing the the tigers and the a's this month then i would be a little bit more worried but they've played really really solid teams really solid teams and another a good reminder last year on june 1st they were 21 and 29 at the end of june they were 37 and 41 and then in july they had that little 14 game win streak that kind of represented and set a good foundation for the rest of the year coasting into the playoffs well not coasting but getting into the playoffs so we can't overact yet. Some things are worrisome. The Wong month of April is very worrisome. Again, the the back half of the pitching staff, especially with the Robbie Ray news, is worrisome. Uh, I'm not worried about the the DH spot or the offensive depth because I there's nothing to worry about really. I mean, it's bad, but we knew it was going to be bad, and I'm assuming Jerry will try to address it with a trade. But I can't worry about something that I is going just as expected. I'm not. It's not like I'm like, oh man, Cooper Hummel's down in AAA after not hitting really well in the DH spot. Tommy Lestella hasn't looked good in the DH spot. AJ Pollock's been pretty subpar. Oh wow, that's crazy. That's no, it's not. It's not unexpected. It's not surprising. It's just how it's been going. I talked about the Robbie stuff already. In terms of an April review, I maybe they'll move for a pitcher at the deadline. I don't know. The offense still needs that other bat. I've talked about it ad nauseum. It's still one it ideally that would slide into the DH spot, but maybe we'll take a second baseman now. I don't know. Uh, just another, again, another impact bat in this lineup could really do wonders for this team, especially now that DH holes, it's black hole. It needs to be filled with someone who can hit better than this. What's interesting now, too, is the White Sox are so bad. If they continue being this bad, approaching the trade deadline i'm wondering how many of their guys are going to be shipped out i the pitching is mm, pitching is not great i wouldn't necessarily try to go for the pitching but like a guy like eloy jimenez maybe you go try to get him for cheaper than you probably would have gotten him the last year like he is born to be a dh like eloy jimenez to the Mariners would be a trade that would make so much sense i don't know what it would take depends on the trade market depends on like like jerry set the pitcher trade market last year trading that haul for luis castillo but maybe he waits a little longer this time around see what 
some position players go for and if it's on the cheap, it's on the cheap. I mean, Eloy's really intriguing because, again, he was born to be a DH. His, his defense is awful. His defense is honestly worse than expected. And coming up, the huge reason of why he was such a highly touted prospect is his, is his bat. His bat was like the 70-grade tool that was going to propel him and start him. It wasn't his fielding. And his fielding has been so awful. And I honestly think it's dampened his career having to play so much in the field because the White Sox team building was so poor. And they had to play a bunch of outfielders who didn't really know how to play the outfield very well, like Eloy. And he's born to be a DH. You know who needs a DH? The Seattle Mariners need a DH. There's a couple years left on his deal. Then some club options. I I don't know what the White Sox are going to do. I If they're really this bad by the trade deadline or by July, just the month of July, I'd expect them to sell off parts. I don't. I don't expect them to try to run this back at all. I, if the White Sox season keeps going like this, I think they get rid of the front office, who's the like the third or fourth tenured front office in the league, which is, think about that for a second. That's weird. And I don't know, but it's, you never know what you're going to get from the White Sox. It's like Jerry Reinsdorf, you, like who who knows what he's going to do? Eloy just came to mind and like some, there's more decent White Sox pieces you could try to go get. I don't know. I don't know. I assume Jerry and, and Hollander will make at least one more trade, probably a couple before the deadline, just to address the offensive woes. Maybe you try to get a second baseman. You try to address the back half of the rotation a little bit. Wong is still... He'll still get playing time just because of his big league track record. They're not just going to DFA him because of this month, but I don't think he should be starting over Caballero right now. Like From what we've seen from Caballero, I'd rather have him every day at second base and if they're fine with that, then they're fine with that. They can push all their chips in for a really good DH bat or a really solid arm. I just don't know who it is yet. Uh, it's it's tough to predict that stuff in April. Really, after May, when more stats are compiled and, and the trade deadline nears, then you start to kind of see who the best guys at the deadline are going to be. You know Brian Reynolds isn't going to be there anymore, too. So I don't know. I don't know what they do. I think also just second base is like fine. They shouldn't trade for a second baseman. I mean, they have Wong and Caballero, but then also like Haggerty and Moore can both play second base. Fine. Like they're fine, especially depth-wise at second base. DH should be the main priority. DH and back up first or third base, you know? I don't know. Like that is the month of April. A subpar month of April for this baseball team but at the same time, let's wait. Let's wait a few weeks till they play some bad teams and see if they really handle business and get the season somewhat back on track because the schedule is just brutal. They're playing decent baseball, and the stuff we knew was going to be a problem before the season is is the problem. The bright spots are obviously Jared Kelnick, J.P. Crawford's hitting really well. The low spots are the Robbie Ray injury out the whole year and, and Colton Wong being the worst player in the world all of a sudden, and here we sit, five games under 500, fourth in the division, in a division with four teams, and then one, I don't know what the A's are, to be honest with you, uh, and and it's, the vibes are fine, it's just so much hype was going into this season for this team to perform, so much pressure, and they haven't yet, really, I mean, there's been flashes, but they sit 11 and 16, and that's what most people look like look at. And it's like, well, they, it's not out of their own possibility that they 
they're fourth in division right now going into May. That's not if you told me that in March before the season started, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. That they're eleven and sixteen. I'd be like, oh, okay, look at the schedule. I might have generally been lower on this team just because of I don't know. I there's blind optimism with every fan base, especially for this team with the excitement that they fostered last season and then some of the offseason moves that sponsored excitement, but also you took a look at this team before the season and it's like still I think just like one or two things pieces away. One one again, one more bat that can fill the DH spot and hit above league average would really do wonders for this team. But that is the April gloom. And really, we should be used to this. The Mariners are 11 and 16 going into May. Oh, sure, that's better than a lot of years. Listen, let's not get entitled, all right? This team knows how to be bad. They're still learning how to be good. The fans, all, all of us, really, uh, especially in my age group and, you know, people in their 20s, 20s right now, especially, and, like, fan younger fans have never, ever seen this team really be good. I mean, there was, like, the year in 2014, there was... 2018 and stuff but they've never really been good and built for the future kind of like this team is and so a subpar month of april will not inspire too much confidence in this fan base going forward but that being said we go into may whole new month forget about april throw april out may we move towards may and i would like to say the A's series, so they have another off day today when I'm releasing this on May 1st. They go to the Athletics in Oakland. This might be the most important series of the entire year so far, and maybe sets the tone for the rest of the month. They need to sweep the A's. They need to, at the very least, win two of three. Even two of three, depending on how the games go, is pushing it for what this team needs right now. They need to sweep the A's. They sweep the A's. Then they have a homestand against the Astros and the Rangers. Three game sets both. And both those teams are playing good baseball right now. You sweep the A's. You go 14 and 16. And then maybe you steal some from the Astros and the Rangers. And then you have the Tigers, Red Sox after that. The A's series really though. The A's, like with this team, the way this team's playing, I'm not confident because it's the Mariners and anything could happen and it's also baseball and baseball's stupid and stupid shit happens in the sport all the time to make teams lose but this is a really important series they need to beat the shit out of the A's they need to for the fans for the confidence just to to bump up your record they're going to need to do this to the bad teams this year especially if they're not going to win quite as many one-run games against the good teams this season they'll need these wins you need to pick up the wins against the A's, the Tigers, the A's again next month. You need to pick up wins against those teams. That goes a long way in September when you're pushing for the playoffs. So I've earmarked this series. This is a must-sweep. We must sweep it. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of this week at Oakland. The Mariners need to sweep the A's. They have to take care of business. They simply have to. If they won... A couple more games the last few few days, like if they won two of three against both the Blue Jays and the Phillies, which they easily could have done, I wouldn't feel as, I wouldn't see this Oakland series as important as I see it right now. So that's the spiel. That is the April update. 
that is the May outlook for the first, you know, couple weeks of May. I will be potting after the Astros series and before the Rangers, but hopefully after the Athletics and the Astros, they are sitting closer to 500. Hopefully by virtue of sweeping the A's and then not getting swept by the Astros. Let's hope what they would do, really, what they would absolutely, absolutely do. They go to Oakland. They look great. They sweep the A's. Then they go back home to Seattle, prompted to get swept by the Astros. I can 100% see that happening. If that happens, you can blame me. If that happens, that's my fault. That's my fault for accurately depicting what to expect from this, this franchise that we have chosen to be fans of, unfortunately. But now, I'm almost done. Now I got some fun stuff. I, I'm done talking about the gloom of, uh, of this season so far. The Mariners announced their City Connect uniforms. Everyone has an opinion on these uniforms. Obviously, everyone has an opinion on everything, but a lot of people don't like these uniforms. I understand why a lot of people like them. I understand why a lot of people don't like them. My stance on the City Connect uniforms is they're supposed to look look unique. And obviously it's City Connect, so you're supposed to bring in, you know, aspects from your city. And they did that. What they went, they went the history of baseball in Seattle route. History of MLB in Seattle route, I should say. They didn't go all the way back to the original baseball team in Seattle. But they went with the old retro Trident logo. They went with kind of the old blue and and yellow from the old days of that logo. They some pirates, some uh, not, not pirates, geez, uh, pilots inspiration, and then some old retro manners inspiration. Everyone's talking about the black pants, and I I agree with them. Like, why not just make the whole thing blue? The black pants do look a little weird in this context. But my stance on this is the uniforms are fine, but they just kind of look like an alternate that you could spin as like an alternate retro alternate for the season like they don't look anything like i expected them to because my stance again on the city connect jerseys is i want them to look so different i want them to be crazy this should be your opportunity to be close ish to what minor league teams do for promotions make the jersey look crazy you're not going to wear it that much and it's supposed to be unique it's supposed to like connect with the city and again, I get what they're going for, but it looks almost too ordinary for me. I still think it looks clean, like the the color, like the blue and yellow, like that's iconic for a reason. It looks great. The trident is sweet. Uh, the my oh my homage to, to Dave Niehaus on the jersey is pretty awesome. Uh, they have little tridents on there, on like the the collar, like the the yellow piping down the pants and stuff, and the socks. Like all of that is cool. Even, like, if they just made the pants blue and it was just an all-blue fit with some yellow outlines, that would, that would look better than the black pants, I think. But I think they should have gone something weird. Like, look at the Rockies. It's, like, it's not my favorite jersey, but in terms of just, like, it's a City Connect jersey. It looks so different, and that's why I like it. The Padres, it looks crazy different than the normal jerseys. Uh, the Red Sox. The Red Sox might be the wackiest one, and it's an homage to their city. Now, I threw out the idea of a Sonic-related City Connect jersey on Twitter. It would verge on A's territory. That would be very dangerous. But really, what I think they should have done is if they wanted to do History of Baseball in Seattle, go all the way back. Go all the way back to the original team, the Seattle Rainiers. And their colors are the Tacoma Rainiers colors. So obviously, there's some, some stuff there where 
it's Tacoma Rainier's colors. You can't just make a Rainier's jersey. You can make a like a city connector that connects with the history of the team. You have you have red, white, and blue to work with with those teams' colors. But then, if you wanted to, you make my idea was a cream type base, like the Sunday cream like base for the jersey, with red lettering for Mariners and homage to the old Rainiers jerseys, and then maybe you have some blue Trident incorporation. I don't know. All I know is I think if they wanted to go back to the history of baseball, you can go to the Pilots. The Pilots are fine. And then you can go back to the original baseball teams in Seattle in like the seven, late 70s and early 80s and stuff. And the Trident is cool, but if you're going to do baseball in Seattle, go all the way back. Go all the way back. Do some wacky, wacky-looking Rainier, sh- Rainier shit. Or, again, make some, make some cool Sonic stuff. Or have it just be all blue instead of the black pants. I don't know. I think... My stance is it's not not a hot take. They look good, and they'll look good on the field, but they could have done better, and I do largely agree with people. The biggest issue is the black pants, uh, but whatever. I'm just a fan of going weirder in this sport than going more ordinary, and they went more, you know, retro-looking ordinary, which is fine, but I would have preferred something really wacky, but that's my stance on the City Connect jerseys. Uh, I think they could have went weirder, but, you know, they're going to look good on the field, so whatever. Now, one more thing before I get out of here. It was brought to my attention and Mariner's Twitter's attention this week by, I'm not remembering his handle specifically, it's Zach, though, that's his name on Twitter, and most people probably, if you're on Mariner's Twitter, which obviously not everyone is, and Twitter's not real life, but he's very... I wouldn't say like integral, but he he's very involved in Mariners Twitter. He's a lot of followers. He does good edits and stuff. But he it was posted on the baseball Reddit, just our baseball, last week, and he brought it up to Twitter. And the original Seattle mascot was called Spacey the Needle. I'm I you know I'm gonna title the episode Spacey the Needle actually. Uh, so there's a fun story about Spacey the Needle. First of all, it looks ridiculous. Go look this up and find. It's a very short video on the R Baseball Reddit of it walking around, and it's on stilts and it's wearing a Space Needle hat. It's just and Spacey the Needle. That's like some Bodie McBoat phase type type shit. So, uh, so the Mariner Moose. It was the first full time mascot, but a team they had a mascot competition competition in 79. So the team was founded in 77. They have a mascot competition in 79 in response to the popularity of the San Diego chicken, which was a iconic mascot back in the day. So the winner of the competition was Spacey the Needle. And it was, it was a dude wearing a Space Needle hat on stilts. And unfortunately... Spacey was plagued with mobility issues due to his stilts, and the mascot was retired only after a few games. So Spacey the Needle, he burned bright, but he burned quick in Seattle as a mascot. Please go look this up. It's it's fantastic. Apparently, uh, the San Diego Chicken was the mascot for six straight games before the All-Star break that year, which... What? His actions in one of the games prompted future manager Lou Pinella. He was a Yankees player at the time. He threw his glove at the chicken. He must have pissed him off or something. I mean, Lou was not known as a 
particularly calm dude. Uh, so the San Diego Chicken was the mascot for a little bit after Spacey obviously was had to retire because of, again, mobility issues. San Diego Chicken, obviously, he was temporary. It wasn't going to last. And then they, they eventually got um, the Moose, and his debut was uh, in the Mariners' home opener on in 1990. And the Moose is a great mascot. But the best part of this story, so they had this competition. Space and Needle takes first place. Second place, a man in a diaper took second place. I haven't found any other info on this, and I will do more deep diving on this because I'm fascinated by did the dude in a diaper have a name for his mascot or was it just like, hey, I am a grown man. I'm wearing a diaper. I love the Mariners, this new team. Let me be the mascot. And he took second. So he clearly got some votes, clearly some sickos out there in 1979 voting for this mascot. And they land on Space of the Needle, and unfortunately, he's not the mascot anymore. They should bring him back for, like, one game, randomly. All of a sudden, this, like, 10-foot-tall, spacey, space needle-looking humanoid walks out from, like, the center field, from center field and, and battles the moose or something with a trident. Man, let me, let, me, let me work for you, Mariners. I could come up with some fun, wacky shit to do. But that's Space of the Needle. I could not do another podcast and not mention Spacey the Needle. So I really do encourage just put Spacey the Needle in Google. The Reddit will come up probably first. Click on it. There's this two second video of him walking near home plate and it's just one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And now I have a little item to research for next week. I'll see if I can find any more info about the man in the diaper who took second place. And if I do, I will definitely talk about it. But that's about it. That's it. That's all I have for you this week. So that was kind of a, an April in review rant of what this team's up to. And looking forward to watching them hopefully decimate the Oakland A's. But with that, I will leave you with have a very good day. Please, whatever, support the show if you want. You've heard me say this. If you don't, you know, you're listening. And you're all, you, all you're, you're doing is making my day if you listen to this podcast. So please have a good rest of your day. And of course... Go Mariners.